all you have. We would be honored if you would join us. What's happening, Far Far Away family? Welcome to Star Wars Audio Archives. So how's everyone doing today? I hope everything is going well on your side of the galaxy. There's nothing new going on out here in the Outer Rim. Well, I guess there's a little bit happening because we had Star Wars Celebration last weekend. And we have a lot to cover, so let's get right to it. Once again, at Star Wars Celebrations, fans across the globe gathered to hear the big announcements. However, often not the best description for these announcements due to the secrecy of Lucasfilm likes to wrap around his various projects. For instance, we got some pretty juicy details about some already announced projects, which is exciting too. So here's everything we learned in London about the Star Wars galaxy, and the way that they will move across eras, the small and the big screen. The questions on everybody's lips at Celebrations was whether a new slate of live action films would be announced. It's been four years since the galaxy far, far away has visited the big screen, with several projects being shelved this year, leaving fans not knowing what to expect. But by the end of Lucasfilm's showcase, fans got a huge answer when Miss Kennedy announced three new films, one set in the past, present, and future of the cinematic universe's timeline. And one will include the return of Daisy Ridley as Rey, which I guess several weeks back on Lightsaber Radio, there was just too much stuff happening in the news, too much stuff that was going around Daisy Ridley that I knew she was coming back. But this really spawned from what George Lucas said years ago. When the Star Wars creator said, Star Wars is to move forward and backwards along a mythical timeline. Kennedy said, now we are looking to broaden that timeline, building a rich future, expanding on the present and going deep into the past to tell our stories. Whether these individual films will be the first in three new trilogies set across the timeline is yet to be confirmed, but after the passive response to Solo and The Rise of Skywalker, along with the shelving of several big screen projects that were announced at previous Star Wars celebration, Lucasfilms is keeping their cars close to their chest, which is something that causes me great distress. Disney and Lucasfilms hasn't stuck to its guns when it comes to new projects, so I take all these announcements with a grain of salt. Now let's look at some of the other things that we have learned. First, we have Star Wars The New Jedi Order. When Rilly turned up on stage to confirm that she would be returning as Rey, the crowd went wild. She will be joining director Sharman Obed Chinoy. The two said a few words on the project. Daisy said, I've always been attracted to the hero's journey. Obed Chinoy said, I'm attracted to the promise of a new Jedi Order, and I'm attracted to immersing myself in a Jedi Academy with a powerful Jedi Master. My heart is pounding, added Rilly. I am very thrilled to be continuing this journey. This movie will be set 15 years after the events of The Rise of Skywalker and written by Stephen Knight. Ridley's Ray will be the Jedi Master guiding the new generation of Padawans and rebuilding the Jedi Order as a new dark power tries to tear it down. So I want to know what this new dark power is. That is what caught my interest in this film. Now let's move on to the next announcement that caught my attention. Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi. At the other end of the Star Wars timeline, 25,000 years before the prequel series, telling a tale of the first Jedi to wield the Force in an era of chaos and oppression, James Mangold will direct the Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi. Mangold described it as biblically epic, on a level with the Ten Commandments that will grapple with the dawning of the Force. As we know, the first book that we covered here on Sway was in fact called Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void, and it was said 25,000 years before The Phantom Menace. Hopefully they will take a look at that book as a reference, because it's a good book. But that's all they disclosed about that movie. So what did we learn about the untitled feature set in the New Republic era? 
Longtime Star Wars creator, writer, and director Dave Filoni will be at the helm of this first live-action movie set in the era of the New Republic. Kennedy explained that Mandalorian collaborator John Favreau would center on the escalating war between the Imperial Remnant and the fledgling New Republic, bringing together many of the narrative threads and characters from the Disney Plus series, including the Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, and Ahsoka. And I have a feeling the skeleton crew will probably be in there, too. Dave said there were a bunch of stories that I grew up with in the Expanded Universe, and there were a lot of plans in the New Republic. We are drawing on the new things that were created in the meantime, and we're bringing them all together. As we said, we are going to enter into this epic battle that takes place, unfortunately for our heroes, after the events of Return of the Jedi and before The Force Awakens which is something that has sparked my interest because we have all seen the different shows that are going on in the same time period. So I would like to see the way it plays out. But like in Andor, it's not always a good thing when you know the outcome because we know that the First Order is winning by the start of The Force Awakens. Okay, we have to take a look at Ahsoka now because this is one thing that I'm super excited about. Dave Filoni is certainly keeping busy at Lucasfilms. He was on stage to announce the August 2023 release of Ahsoka with Ahsoka Tana herself, Rosario Dawson along his side. Also, her co-stars Natasha and Mary Elizabeth. Fans got a glimpse of the actors as Sabine and Hera, who were first introduced in animated form in Star Wars Rebels. Several characters from the animated series will be seen in live action. This includes Ezra Bridger and Grand Admiral Thrawn, who makes a small appearance in the latest trailer. If this does well, maybe we'll get a second season, said Dawson. It's up to y'all. I'm ready if you are. And if you haven't had a chance to watch the trailer, just go to YouTube and watch it. It looks amazing. Now we got the Skeleton Crew, which will also premiere later this year. Dave Filoni and John Farrell also gave us an update on Skeleton Crew. The series is led by Drew Law, who plays a Jedi guiding some tween characters who find themselves in a dangerous journey to get home. Set during the Mandalorian time period, this might be the most suburban location we have seen so far in the Star Wars universe, with the trailer showing these kids at school, going home to picturesque houses and riding speeders in the force. But in true Goonies fashion, they find themselves lost in the galaxy and facing pirates, gunfire, and being locked up. Kennedy said, even though there's kids in this movie, like in the Goonies, they weren't necessarily just for kids. And that's very much the vibe of how we approach this show. It was created by MCU's Spider-Man, John Watts, and Christopher Floyd. The episodes will be directed by Watts, David Lowry, the Daniels Brothers, Jake Shear, Bryce Dallas Howard, and Lee Isaac Chung. We have a great list of people from all walks of cinema coming together to make this great series. Skeleton Crew is currently in post-production and will hit Disney Plus later this year. Then we have The Acolyte. The Acolyte was another major talking point during the showcase. Creator Leslie Hillen described it as Frozen meets Kill Bill, which I have no idea what that's supposed to mean. Even though she didn't confirm that there would be musical numbers, likely she was referring to Frozen's sisterly dynamic. She said it's about a spiritual war set 100 years before the prequel trilogy during the High Republic era. Something else that I said, they will be doing a movie or a TV show or something during the High Republic era. Too many High Republic books is coming out. There's just too much stuff about the High Republic for them not to do something about the High Republic. She said it takes place during a part in the timeline that is peaceful and there isn't really a war for our Star Wars characters. She also says, I went back to George's inspiration of martial arts films. Films that were about deep personal connectivity. So master Padawan, teacher pupil, but also father daughter, sibling sibling. That becomes the war for us. The first footage certainly shows a reverence for Japanese film cinema, with plenty of shots of the Jedi Temple, Jedi wielding lightsabers, and martial arts sequences involving Amanda Steinberg and Carrie Ann Moss. Yojimbo and the Hidden Fortress are big visual references too, said Haley, as well as lots of classics like Come Drink With Me, which similarly centers on a female warrior. 
Steinberg said of working with Haley, she was an emotionally profound way of approaching the dark side of ourselves and doing it in a style of magical realism that really appeals to me. The Acolyte will also see the return of Jonas as a Wookiee, this time as a Jedi Master. The series is still in production having completed four episodes, with the shoot set to wrap up in May, and the series set to come out in 2024. And I can't wait to see what this is all about. But now we gotta talk about Season 2 of Andor. It's also in production with an August 2024 release schedule. This will be the second half of one of my favorite shows. Tony Gilroy said, We physically started shooting in November, but we're about halfway and we are going to shoot through August. So we will spend another year on post-production, the music, and the visuals. And I suppose it will come out the following August. Gilroy shared a few scenes from Season 2 which hints at a more of a spy game feel. With Diego Luna's hero sporting some mustache in one scene, Cyril Khan rocking his natural curls, and pretty much everyone armed and ready for this rebellion to really begin. If we do not stand together, we will be crushed, Mamasa says at one moment. Gilroy said, acknowledging that Andor will end with the second season. If you know you are ending, it really helps. There's a lot of shows, shows that I love, and they're trying to figure out where they are going. When you know where you are going, it makes it a lot easier to get there. In a separate panel of the making of Andor, Gilroy confirmed that every three episodes will represent one year, four years in total, until the timeline connects with Rogue One, a Star Wars story. The final scene, in fact, will end with Cassian going to the rings of Kaferian as a fully-fledged resistant agent. He joined the rebellion and we're never going back to that, said Gilroy. He is a committed member now. That internal debate is over. Andor might be coming to an end, but Lucasfilms clearly has no plan to end this franchise. Of course, if all the new projects are at the same high quality as Gilroy's politically charged series, then that might not be a bad thing. So these were some of the things that got me most excited. There were a lot more, but that would take hours to cover. And we still got to find out what's going on with Brotherhood. Because when we left off last week, Anakin swooped in to save the day and rescue Obi-Wan from the Nymordian guards. Well, kind of, because he kind of messed up Obi-Wan's plan and got his arm cut from Obi-Wan's lightsaber. So let's jump back into the story and find out what's going on now. Rogue Quanum. Height, cover, clear lines of sight. Those were the only things Rogue needed. She'd done enough sniper coverage in her time with the Neimordian Special Forces to adapt to whatever her environment presented. In the case of this trial, Rogue chose the Tower of Light, the landmark close to where she'd apprehended Obi-Wan. She broke into the bottom floor, Offices that had nothing to do with the tower's architectural significance as a standout example of Neimodian cultural achievements. The service lift took her up most of the way, then back stairs brought her through various maintenance levels and storage. She'd finished the final leg through unofficial means involving an ascension gun and old-fashioned climbing. She knelt. Legs twisted to brace herself in a steady position as she assembled the deconstructed rifle from the case on her back. Something she used to stay inconspicuous among the public. Extensions and modules twisted and locked into place. Things she'd customized over years to adapt to her grip, her posture, the specific length of her arms, and her evolving armor set. The small power pack hummed to life and she shut one eye to stay focused on what her scope showed her. First, Obi-Wan. The poor Jedi Master, he really tried. And she warned him 
Not out of any bias, but out of pure practicality. She understood the reasons that drove him, the need to intervene before any further disasters might accelerate the war. And here he was, trying to turn evidence of a mysterious third party into a plea for peace. Admirable. Noble, and in many ways, quite logical. But it would fail. He continued his speech, a clear and genuine desperation in his statement. But that wasn't why Rug knelt in her position. She zoomed out, then surveyed all around, checking for any signs of disturbances or trouble. Most of the square's blue-clad crowd watched the nearby hollow projection in perfect stillness, their collective mourning over recent events drawing their attention to Obi-Wan in a way that tilted the scales against him. But at the back of the square, one figure moved through the dense population. Worn rags draped over the figure that moved with purpose, a strength to each step that made the outfit a clear disguise. As it turned, Rogue zoomed in enough and captured a frozen image on her scope to reveal a human male, hair on the verge of shaggy, and determined eyes that stared in a way different from Obi-Wan. Her curiosity kindled at the mystery figure, except her attention got pulled back to the trial, Kitar now taking full attention. She zoomed in her scope, watching his mouth tremble and eyes squint, his hands turning into fists at his side as he recounted his family's woes. She understood his anger toward the Republic, and in many ways it felt justified, but not this way. Rug's fingers flexed as she adjusted her grip on the rifle, scanning space again. In the corridor right outside the courtyard, a line of guards approached, standard issue weapons in their hands. And in the distance, floating platforms appeared on the horizon. She zoomed to reveal the shape of battle droids curled up in storage positions. Obi-Wan would be found guilty. Through no fault of his own, he'd already been judged. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. She heard Kitar challenge Obi-Wan to reveal his source, to name Rug, but she already knew he wouldn't. As she tried to explain, people like her created the truths that people like him defended. Rug wasn't afraid to lose her life. She wasn't afraid to be named, even to reveal her own sources. Hood sliced into the Cato Neimordian archives to analyze the data. Not if it could tilt the axis of the galaxy. But she'd seen enough to know that it really wouldn't have made much of a difference. Outside of some extra shouting by different parties. Everyone's fate had already been decided. That was the difference between someone like her and someone like him. Obi-Wan Kenobi was too good for a galaxy at war. 
And then the most unexpected thing happened. A guard started choking. Obi-Wan's frantic look, Kitar's drawn pistol, and all of the ensuing chaos showed that something was going awry. And on the dais above them, Ventress departed swiftly, disappearing through a back exit. Rogue pulled back the stock on her rifle, prompting a hum that warmed up the internal heat-regulating system for high-powered sniper bolts. As she did, Kitar yelled loud enough to echo to her perch, and guards drew their rifles at Obi-Wan. Sharp winds blew around her and at her from the small ledge, and while her boots ground into the ledge to keep her steady, a crackle came from the stone just below her. She pulled away from the scope for a glance and saw... something. That clever Jedi. Kenobi's laser sword. It rattled in its lodged hideout, powered by those magic Jedi powers, then leapt out and flew through the air with unnatural speed. Rube tracked it with her scope, a clear trajectory toward Obi-Wan's hand. Then everything happened at once. Guards opened fire, the mystery figure somehow vaulted in and landed in front of Obi-Wan, sword blazing. Obi-Wan's own weapon ignited in midair before hitting the ground. Battle droid carriers landed. Kitar screamed, an incomprehensible jumble of fury that projected at a volume loud enough to capture his emotion, if not the specifics. Rook's scope dodged around, trying to take in the chaos, though by the time she zoomed out, something had sliced the battle droids in half, and the two Jedi had departed. The guards swiveled around, ill-equipped to deal with the speed and capabilities of Jedi, and Keton stomped around the space, waving his pistol and shouting at anyone who might listen. Because the Jedi were gone. Rug zoomed out even further, then looked for any kind of movement that might give away where the Jedi hid. Then, in the upper corner of her scope, she saw what looked like a blur whizzing across the view. She tracked it until they paused, holding her hand steady to keep the view clear as she adjusted the view to bring them in. There they were, Obi-Wan and his Jedi partner. Rue blinked to make sure she actually saw what was unfolding correctly. Were they... laughing? Another sound came whooshing across. A small fleet of seekers that must have detected the movement along the rooftops, likely from their advanced surveillance processors. They pursued in a V-shaped formation, priming up the small cannons that the Trade Federation added themselves. Behind them sailed in two floating platforms of battle droids, and even as they followed at full speed, the droids began to unfurl into standing position. Two blue blades appeared as Obi-Wan and his apprentice stood back to back, lightsabers swinging in precise motions nearly too quick for Rude's eyes. She'd seen a lot in her time, but never a Jedi Knight involved in full-on combat and the stories of their frightening martial abilities with their legendary weapon proved to be true. This was far different from Obi-Wan's escape at the hearing. And yet the sheer volume of blaster bolts eventually chipped away, 
switching the momentum as the battle droids joined in behind the drones. As the battle droids closed in, the Seekers elevated, creating different angles of attack against Obi-Wan and his companion, dodging in quick jerks against the Jedi deflections. If there was a time for Rude to act, it would be now. She lined a single Seeker into her sights and took in a breath, then pulled the trigger. Okay, this part starts off with Rue. It is describing what she is doing during everything. During the whole trial and outcome that leads up to the end of the trial. And with everything that was going on, there were some key points that I wanted to discuss about Rue. First, that she sounds like she is always prepared. Second, she spots Anakin moving through the crowd. Thousands, maybe millions of people, and she saw Anakin. That's just how good she actually is. She is someone who notices everything. Then it goes into the end of the last two chapters. Something that we've heard from two other people's point of view. Then the chapter ends with Rue watching as Obi-Wan and Anakin fighting the battle droids. When she takes aim and fires a single shot that left us on another cliffhanger. That's where this part came to an end. Something that kind of irritates me. Why do we need to hear the same thing from three different points of view? It's like Mike is adding some fluff to the book. Maybe it's just character building. Rue had never seen a Jedi in action, so I guess it would help her understand their abilities. So I think it's about that time that we get to the quarter this weekend. And it comes to us from a Zen proverb. It said, obstacles are not meant to be barriers, but rather opportunities to grow stronger and wiser. This quote suggests that the obstacles should not be seen as a roadblock to our progression, but rather as an opportunity for personal growth and development. We can learn from our mistakes and the challenges we face can help us become stronger, more resilient, and more capable individuals. This reminds me of an article that I read not long ago. It was about a girl that had always dreamed of becoming a professional athlete. However, after a serious injury, her chances seemed bleak. Doctors told her that she may never play again. She was devastated and felt like giving up. But then, she met a coach who encouraged her to keep pushing herself, even when it felt impossible. Through hard work and determination, she slowly regained her strength and eventually made a comeback. She went on to become an Olympic gold medalist and a source of inspiration to others facing similar obstacles. In real life, setbacks and obstacles are common. But with the right mindset and support, it is possible to overcome them. We may not always achieve our initial goals, but that doesn't mean we can't find new ones to strive for. The key to stay focused and keep moving forward, even when the road seems tough. This quote can be a powerful reminder to anyone who is facing a difficult situation. Whether it's a challenging work project, a health issue, or a personal struggle, we can choose to see these obstacles as opportunity for growth and learning. By staying focused, persevering through the difficulties, and staying positive, we can emerge from these challenges stronger, wiser, and more resilient than ever before. Okay, that's all I have for this episode. Join us next week for part 43 of Star Wars Brotherhood. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media and was distributed by Sway Cast Networks. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel. Star Wars Brotherhood was read to you by Jason O'Dagan. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs>